Spurgeon, but recorded by someone else reading a Spurgeon sermon. And in that sermon, he talked about 12 reasons why the blood of Christ is precious. And I thought, after hearing that sermon, we've got to sing about the blood of Christ tonight. So let's sing about the cleansing way, 227.
They used to have a soap years ago, I uh, forget the name, but it was an all-purpose soap that can clean you of grease, you can wash your dishes, things like that, and I forget the name of it, um, Zippo or Ziff, 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 and uh, that might, be, might have worked for a little while, a few decades, but when you talk about cleansing from sin, only the Christ, a lot of Christ can do that, it always works. All right, let's go to Psalm chapter 9, verse 4 to begin tonight. This is part three of the series from the month of September about salvation and some things about salvation to never forget. Talked about how easy it is to be saved last week, and it is by faith. It's not be complicated by works or self-effort. It is by faith, by believing. And so, very simple to be saved because Christ did all the necessary work. And so in Psalm 914, the phrase from that is the theme of our month for September and Wednesday night. We will rejoice in thy salvation. Rejoicing in God's salvation. And if there's anything to be happy about, it's about the fact that you are saved and one day you end up in heaven. And so the beginning of life really starts there. But you began on earth and you got saved. And so we rejoice in thy salvation. Tonight is the role of repentance. Repentance. We hear a lot about repentance or maybe not. And so it's a, actually it's a dividing issue because one, one group, we'll, we'll say Baptist, one group says you just receive Christ by faith and another group Baptist says, but you got to really repent first. And so you have those two things in play. Both are necessary. Both are part of salvation. But let's see what salvation, when it comes to repentance, what does salvation, what does repentance mean? I keep saying salvation. But what does sal uh, repentance mean? How do you define Repentance. How do you first define repentance? Let's look at the Bible to find what repentance is. We have two references to go to. One's in the New Testament, the other one is in the Old Testament. Let's go to the Old Testament Bible reference first to see what repentance means in the Bible. What repentance means in the Bible. We're going to go to a minor prophet. The name of that minor prophet is Jonah. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. You'll have to come to Jonah chapter 3. It's the part of the Bible where it's sticking together. <laughs> Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Some important verses in this chapter. You remember that Jonah was called by God to preach to Nineveh, that wicked, wicked city. Jonah didn't want to go there, so he got into a ship and went the opposite direction. And you know how the great fish or the whale swallowed him up and then uh, spewed him out. And then by that time, Jonah was willing to go to Nineveh. It's funny how God makes us want to do some things. Well, in Jonah chapter 3, verse number 1, watch carefully in your Bible. Jonah chapter 3, verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. The first time, Jonah ran away, but the Lord also gives a second chance, doesn't he? And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Verse 3, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. It's a big, big city. Verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the message that he preached. He preached a message of repentance. You better repent. The saying that in modern times goes like this. Repent or perish. Turn or burn. And in Nineveh's time, in Jonah's time, he preached a message of repentance. Look at verse number 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. So they believed the preaching of Jonah. They believed God and proclaimed a fast. 
and put on sackcloth. Well, that's what the Jews would do when they were sorry over their sin. And proclaim the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, meaning the highest in society, the highest ranking in government work. That would be like the president. It would be good if a president did repent, wouldn't it? Any president or any senator or congressman or any governor or mayor, if anybody in high office, it says here, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even unto the least of them. So from the top, from the White House, from D.C., all the way down to Kaneohe or whatever little district, everyone repented. Verse 6, for the word of the Lord, for word came unto the king of Nineveh, the king gave an order. <laughs> and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. So he actually demonstrated humility and fear. He was convicted by the preaching of Jonah, and he set the standard. And he says, listen, folks, God's going to burn up this city. He's going to destroy all of us. None of us are going to survive if we don't turn to God, if we don't repent of our sins. And so he said, I want everybody to repent. Now, even if the people did not want to repent, he said, you better repent because I want God to spare us. And he showed to God his humility and his sorrow over his sin and for the sins of the city. He wanted to make sure that God got, they got God's attention, in other words. Verse 7, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh uh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Let's all fast. Verse 8, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God, saying, Yea, let them, let them turn, let them turn everyone from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell? Who can tell will God repent, if God will repent, and turn away from his fierce anger, and we perish not? Now, the king of Nineveh, he was really trying to make sure that God God's attention was on them and he saw not just their heart but he saw their works that they really were sorry for their wickedness and the king wanted to make sure everyone was on the same page because he did not want to be destroyed neither did he want Nineveh to be destroyed and so this was a national a national day of repentance now the idea in verse 8 is let them turn 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 verse 8 turn verse 9 Someone else will turn, perhaps. Who can tell if God will turn? Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? So he's begging, he's begging God by his actions. He's begging God by his actions. God, we're going to repent and we're going to show you that we're serious about this. We're going to turn from wickedness. God, we're serious about this. And God, we hope that you would turn too. We hope you repent too of what you intend to do. We hope you will turn from what you intend to do. We hope you repent that we perish not. Verse 10, and God saw their works and they turned from their evil way. They were pretty serious, weren't they? And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. So you have two things happen. Number one, the king and the people repented and God looked at them before he said, I'm going to wipe you out. Now he sees them repenting, changing their mind. 
And he says, oh, well, look at that. They are turning from their sin. Well, they're asking me for mercy. Well, look at that. I never would have thought this would happen, but I'm going to have mercy on them and not destroy them like I had intended to. Repentance in this chapter is turning from what you thought, is turning from what you were going to do, and you're not going to do it now. Is turning from something to something. Nineveh's case, turning from sin. Humiliating themselves, humbling themselves, getting up all the fancy road, king, and the rest of the people, and showing God that you are very sorry for your sins, and you hope God will have mercy on you. And then God also repented of what he's going to do, judge them. Now, you know that God, when he repents, is not because he has to apologize to anybody, because God never sins. The repentance on God's part was to simply say, I was going to do this, but now I'm not. I was going to, but now, you know, kids and parents, kids act up. Once in a while they act up. Sometimes they act up multiple times in a day. And sometimes a good dad, a good mom say, stop that or else. Stop that or else. Now sometimes kids, if they're smart, if they're wise, they'll stop it because the or else will come. But if kids don't believe their parents, they'll say, oh yeah. They'll say in their, in their heart, I don't think he means that. I don't think he means that. And so the kid does it again. I thought I told you to stop that or I'm going to spank you. The kid says to himself, I didn't think you meant that. Dad says, look, stop it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to the bathroom. I'll take up my belt. I'm going to give a good spanking, okay? You got that? Yes, sir. Kid does it again. All right, get to the bathroom, and he gets a spanking. Now, if he doesn't want a spanking, he should repent of being bad. Simple as that. Change his mind. Change his actions. He won't get a spanking. If adults would do the same thing, they would not go to jail. If adults do the same thing, they wouldn't go to prison. If adults do the same thing, so much trouble is past. So much grief is avoided. But they just don't believe that it's going to happen to them. They don't repent. So repentance is changing your mind. Now here's another example in the Bible. In the New Testament, come to Matthew chapter 21. See if you can get it before I do. Raise your hand to get it before I do. Matthew 21. I got that first Timothy. Good try. Matthew 21, verse 28. Now, you need to look at the verses, please. Matthew 21, 28. This is a definition of repentance. 21, 28. The Lord is addressing the Pharisees. He's teaching them a lesson about themselves. So that they can see themselves in the parables. He says in verse 28. But what think ye? Think about this. I want to know what you think about this. What think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first. The eldest and said. Son. Go work today in my vineyard. What does the father want the son to do? Go work. Go to work today in the vineyard. Verse 29, he answered and said, I will not, I will not. I'm not going to go to work. But afterward, watch carefully now, but afterward, but afterward, he thought about it. We don't know how long afterward he is, but he thought about it. But afterward, he did something. He repented 
and went. What did that first son do? He first said, no. Surf's up. No. Got a ball game to watch. No. But then he thought about it and he said, man, my dad asked me to go to work. He's got servants, but he asked me to work. I don't want to work. I got other things I like to do. I mean, I work six days a week and I'm tired. I, I need a day off. I need to spend some time for myself. It's me time. But then he thought about that. He said, you know, dad wouldn't have asked me to work if he didn't need me to work. So I should go to work. So he went. He said no. And then he said, yes, that's repentance. He changed his mind. He changed his mind. Verse 30. And he came to the second. He came to the second son. And said likewise, work in the field. And he answered, the son answered and said, I go, I go, sure dad, anything you want. Anything else you want me to do besides work in the field? Trim our lawn, use the weed whacker, cut the grass, paint the side of the house, paint the barn red or white or blue or what, what? Tell me I'll do it. Why son, you are such a helpful guy. You're so full of energy and initiative. Uh, I appreciate doing that. Having that good attitude. Yeah, go work in a field. He said, I go, sir, and 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 went not. Well, one son said no, and then he changed his mind. He said, I'll go work. The first son, the second son said, Yes, sure, Dad, of course. And he walked away. He said, You know, I changed my mind. I'm not gonna work at all. Surf up. I mean, look, full moon, waves are high. Only happens what once every hundred years, so I'm gonna take advantage of this. Can't miss that. Rolling Stones are in town. Got to go see them. Got to go see them. Pro Bowl is on. Got to go see them. No, I'm not going to. He changed. Both boys changed their mind. What is repentance? You change your mind. You change your mind. You change your mind. I will go. Ah, uh, nah. I don't want to do that. You know what? I'm going to do that. You change your mind. You change your minds at all, any, any time at all, anybody? You ever go shopping? You see a shirt for sale, I like to go to Costco or Sam to get those cheap pullover golf shirts, $3.99 like that, or it used to be $9.99, it's now $3.99, sometimes. And I'm buying, not because I need it, but because it's on sale. Then I take it home and try it on, and it don't fit good. Then I say, I'm gonna return it. I have changed my mind. Haven't you ever changed your mind? You all change your mind, right? Do you have a mind? You know when I got my CAT scan? I told the doctor, did you find a brain there? He looked at me, this Chinese guy from, from uh, Pennsylvania, he looked at me and says, ah, real dry sense of humor guy. Couldn't take a joke, you know. <laughs> Did you find a brain there? You see a brain. All right, so change your mind. All the time it happens. So repentance is changing your mind. It's a change of mind, all right? Now, here's something you have to think about. Uh, does a sinner need to repent to be saved? Does a sinner need to repent to be saved? By definition, repentance is change your mind. So if a sinner has to repent to be saved, what does he have to change his mind about? What does he have to change his mind about? About what does he change his mind? Well, a question. What keeps a sinner lost? Think to find the answer. The question is, what does he have to change his mind over or about? Ask yourself a question to come to the answer. What keeps a sinner lost? Whatever is that keeps him lost, He's got to repent of that. Uh, or why is the sinner lost? Whatever it is that keeps him lost, he's going to repent of that. 
Now, if he doesn't know the Lord, if he's ignorant, he has to repent of that. Now look at Romans chapter 10. Uh, some verses to turn to tonight, and we're going to have to hurry before um, 10 o'clock. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Sometimes a person is unsaved because they're ignorant about who Jesus is. Romans chapter 10, and come to verse number 13. Romans 10, 13. Here's what it says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then here's the dilemma, verse number uh, 14. How, how, how what? Well, how shall someone call upon the name of the Lord? Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? So the problem here is sometimes a person not saved because he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know why he needs to be saved. He doesn't know what Christ did for him. He's ignorant. Sometimes he's ignorant. That's the reason why some people are not saved. And then sometimes people are not saved because they're depending on their own goodness to be saved. Matthew chapter 7. Come quick to Matthew chapter 7. Sometimes people are not saved because they're ignorant about who Jesus is. Sometimes people are not saved because they're depending upon their good works to save them. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 22. Anybody got that before I did? Timothy, read out loud, please. Twenty-two. You're right. Lord, 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 have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have we cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? So that last part there, many wonderful works, some people are not saved because they're trusting many wonderful works that they do. So they're not saved because when you try to trust your own works, you never should have done enough. So the man is not saved. So many wonderful works. People are not saved because they're trying their best. They need to repent of that. Change their mind about, I can do it myself. No, they have to repent of that. Now, uh, does know the Lord. He's depending on his goodness, his works, uh, working for Christ, doing religious things. And here's another reason why people are not saved. Uh, he's depending on his morality. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Depending upon religious works, and then depending upon your morality, your, your being honest, you being a taxpayer, you actually pay it before the due date. <laughs> yeah, you, you take only legitimate deduction. You don't stretch things. You don't go into the gray areas. You just pay what you think you owe. You're honest. People depend upon their morality. So I'm trying to get you to think, repent of what? Well, repent of... Repent of your good works. That cannot save. And in this case, repent of your morality. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 4. Paul says this, we read uh, in this chapter last week, verse number 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof to, he might trust in the flesh, I more. And he gives you a reason why. So people trust their morality, being good. Being good. They have this idea in the back of their head that my good will outweigh my bad on the scale of justice on God's eye, in God's eyes. My bad, the, the people who are good like this, the moral, they admit they're not perfect. 
this is kind of deceiving because people are right about themselves and they're honest about themselves. They say, oh, I'm not perfect. Oh, no, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. And they say, but other people are not so perfect. Oh, nobody's perfect. They must excuse their sins by saying, oh, nobody's perfect and I'm not perfect. But they do hope in their mind that they will be good enough so that their morality will, will outweigh their bad. So on Judgment Day, in their understanding, it'll be good enough. It'll be in their favor because they're moral people. You've ever met some moral people that are not saved? Yes. You meet some good people, we call them good people that are not saved, but they're decent people. I mean, they do things for the community. They pick up trash, they volunteer for community programs. They uh, are very helpful people. They donate to charity. Uh, they're just good neighbors. They're moral people. They're the kind of people you want for your neighbors. Now, don't make the mistake to think that my neighbors have to be Christians. What you want is more people as your neighbors. You want people who are decent people. They will keep their eyes out on their house for you when you're away. They will do things that are just good for the neighborhood because they're good, decent people. They're moral people. And uh, they can be trusted in many ways. They don't have to be Christian. But people like that depend upon the morality and that they have confidence in the flesh. And so they're generous donors. They even give to the blood bank. <laughs> I mean, they just are nice people. They're good, decent people. Um, they're the kind of people that say things like this. Well, all religions are the same. And if someone has a different religion or if they have no religion, I think, I think God is going to be nice, gracious to them too because God understands our hearts. He's really speaking about himself. They're moral people. They're good people. You can trust them. They're good, decent people. You have to repent of that. You cannot be saved because you trust your morality. Where does repentance come in? Where does a change of mind come in? You have to stop thinking that your morality is going to save you. You have to stop thinking that your good works will save you. You have to stop thinking that you can be saved just by believing anything. May the force be with you. Mother Nature. See? Uh, these are some things people have to repent about. Uh, a good person, especially at a difficult time, sometimes seeing that he is lost and he needs to be saved. Uh, but they're good people. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is the biblical account of a man who is very, very moral. He is very moral. He's also religious, but he's not a Christian. He prays, but he's not a Christian. Acts chapter 10, and come to verse number, ooh, verse number one. Now, I want you to be sure that you're there, so I'll stop you telling me the next word when I pause, all right? So, we have to pay attention to the words here. There was a certain man in, the, in Caesarea called a centurion of the, called the, so he was in a singing group. Verse 2. He is a devout man and one that God with all his, which gave much to the, and to, all the way. This man's a very religious man. He's a moral man. He's a good neighbor. He's an officer of Rome. He's a respected man. He has position. He has power. He has authority. His family loves him, but he's not saved. This is to indicate uh, moral people can be good people, but they're still not saved. They have to repent of their own morality 
and goodness if they need to if they want to be saved all right now so yes repentance is necessary for salvation repent of trusting yourself repent of trusting your religion stop depending on something else besides christ shed blood and uh stop depending on other people to save you it has to be only by one person he has to repent of those thoughts repent of those things that he would trust and only trust in christ that's repentance changing your mind i'm going to trust christ and cannot be that way uh well my, my parents are christians so i'm going to trust my parents religion no you have to trust in christ yourself you have to repent of taking on with somebody else all right now romans 10 13 we looked at that verse again uh before let's look at it one more time romans 10 13. the role of repentance and salvation is very real and it's very necessary you have to change your mind about what you're trusting for salvation romans 10 13. i'll do the same thing i'll pause you tell me the next word romans 10 13. for shall all upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's a very plain, simple verse. If you call upon the Lord, you shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins and saved in the context of not a physical saved, but a spiritual salvation. Deliverance from sin and the power of sin and the presence of sin. Ultimately, whosoever means anybody shall call upon. Now he doesn't say repent there, does he? But would, he repent, would repentance be involved in calling? Would a man call upon the Lord if he's trusting himself? Would a man call upon the Lord if he is trusting his religion would a man call upon the lord for salvation if he's trusting his morality usually not usually not now i know sometimes people can have blended these things together i'll trust myself and but when he understands the gospel he knows he cannot trust anything else but only christ and that's when he will call upon the lord and he will be saved by calling upon the lord so i see between the lines that there is a rule you have to be repenting you will not turn to Christ unless you're repenting of some of these things. You would not call upon him unless you saw your need to call upon him. You not call upon Christ if you're you won't call help if you're in the water, if you're not drowning. As a matter of fact, when someone's drowning, he may not even say help. He might say blah 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 blah. Because he's going down. So he's just gonna he might get out help, but he's thrashing around because he wants to get the attention of the lifeguard who's in his lifeguard stand, you know. Play with his phone. Let's see who won. The Dallas man. The guys out there screaming off all on the beach. Everybody say, "Hey, lifeguard, lifeguard!" Because the guy needs help. He's saying, "Oh man, they lost." Oh shoot! And scrolling down to see the next came. This. Oh, 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 oh! Someone needs my help. <laughs> well, the guy who's calling for help doesn't have to say the right words, does he? Help! Now that's clear what that means. But he doesn't call for help if he's back floating. Doing some backstrokes. If he's on his air mattress, he's got a sun glasses on. He's got a, a big uh, mai tai. He's got a big uh, soda. He's drinking. He's, he doesn't call for help because he doesn't see his need to call for help. But when you call upon, it's to assume that you know why you need to call upon him. So he has turned. He has repented. And so, in the case of Nineveh, in John chapter three, they proved their repentance by their fruit, by their turning from their wickedness. Now, I want you to think about this, that the sinner, the sinner who needs to be saved and wants to be saved, does he have to stop sinning before he gets saved? 
He says, I really want to get saved. I do not want to go to hell. Whenever I think about the Lahaina fires, it just reminds me of hell. And I don't want to be there. Oh, such a tragedy to have been there. But I'm not there. And he says, but one day, if, if the Bible is true, if I go, I don't want to be there. So I want to get saved. Oh, I really want to get saved. And so does he think he must trust Christ and stop doing some sins? Well, sometimes people present the gospel in such a way that we say, you know, if you don't repent of your sins, you cannot get saved. What does that mean, repent of your sins? What does repent of your sins mean? Repent of your sins. You must repent of your sins. Emphasis of you, you, you wicked sinner. You must repent of your sins. Do not give the impression, and we should never give the impression, that you must stop sinning. You must stop sinning before you can get saved. How is it possible for someone to stop sinning before they get saved? Why? Some of you folks don't stop sinning even though you are saved. <laughs> and you got the Holy Spirit in you. And you know better, you know right, but you still sin. How is it possible we can demand on somebody, you stop sinning before you get saved? You must really repent. This is kind of a, I think, here's my opinion. It's an overreaction to American people who know the gospel. They've heard it so many times for many decades and generations. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, 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 right. I heard all that before. They say, and they have. Especially if it's done in the South. Everybody's saved in the South or did not say, and they don't care. But because of that, sometimes we try to make it really serious, make it really important, and it all is. But we say to someone, because we're afraid that if they just pray to receive Christ, that's too easy. That's too easy, too easy, too easy. You gotta make it hard so that they really are serious about this. And that's what the background of our thinking could be. And well-meaning Christians and leaders, they say, you know, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. That's a Bible verse. That's a Bible verse, Luke 13, 3. Unless you repent, you should all like That's a Bible verse. However, when you tell a sinner you must repent and be really repentant, really, really, you must really, really, really mean it before you can get saved. Because if you don't really, really mean it, you cannot get saved. Are we not perhaps somehow causing someone to think that they must reform before they get saved? Well, you don't reform to get saved. You don't say, I'm going to quit sinning, and then I'll get saved. We don't ever say it like that, but we seem to imply that to people sometimes. Because we don't want to make salvation cheap. We don't make it so easy to believe and get saved. But it does say, if you call upon what you shall be saved. So we don't have to be careful not to say repentance means you must really prove that you're serious about this before you get saved. Now, John MacArthur is a really good teacher, a good man, in every sense of the word. You can learn a lot from, a lot from him. But I seem to get this sense that if you don't really repent of your sin in the sense of really mean that you're going to stop this, you may not ever get saved. I don't think that's really accurate. I don't see that in Paul's letters. But I understand. I can appreciate him because he sees the same thing that you and I could see, that Americans just pray, pray, blah. That's all they mean. They just get you off the doorstep and that's it. You know. So I understand that. But if repentance means change your mind, then if he changes his mind and say, I'm not going to trust my morality, I'm not going to trust my religion, I'm not going to trust my goodness, okay, then you can call upon the Lord and be saved. So don't make repent. Repentance mean that you must uh, change your behavior before you call upon the Lord. Um, now, in Luke 19, let's come over here. Here's an interesting chapter, Luke 19, about an interesting man. This man was so tall, this man was so big, 
This man must have been over seven feet tall in the book of Matthew, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Luke, chapter 19. This man was so tall, he climbed up a tree to be even taller. Luke, chapter 19. This man was the tax collector, the beloved tax collector from the IRS in a different country by a different name, but in America, he's an IRS agent. He's collecting taxes. He's cheating people. He's saying you owe this when really the only in, he, he's saying you owe $100, you owe only 25. And he has the authority to put you in jail if you didn't give him what he said you owed. Your record is not good, his record is good. That guy's a crook. He's stealing people's money because he could get away with it. No one's going to know if it comes to going through a, a magistrate, they're going to believe his word over the citizen's word. He's got it made. He's getting rich over the poor people having to pay him extra taxes. Now, no one likes paying taxes, and this guy didn't like to pay taxes. People like to pay taxes in his day, and so this man is very hated. Not just because he collected taxes for Rome, but because he was a he was really a crook too. He was getting rich. He's reporting I collected $25 when he collected $100. He's pocketing 75 bucks. This guy's got a real good program going. Every day he's happy because he collected $10,000. Know, he collected $1,000. Only $500 was tax money. He got $500 to pocket. This guy's cheating kind of Honolulu or something like that. <laughs> but uh, this guy is really making the dough. But Luke chapter 19, Jesus comes into town, into town and ruins everything. <laughs> 19 and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho verse 2 and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus which was the chief among the publicans and he was rich <laughs> you know why he was rich right that guy's a crook he was rich and he sought to see Jesus who, who he was probably because he heard testimonies of people what Jesus did for them word gets around by word of mouth the best way to advertise is word of mouth and could not for the press. He wanted to see Jesus and could not for the press. Now, he could not see because of the press. Now, you notice that the media is the biggest troublemaker of all, the press. <laughs> People don't see the truth because of the press. People never see the real story because of the press. I'm kind of kidding on that point, but you understand the truth behind that. He could not see for the, the group of people, the crowd of people. He could not get close enough to see Jesus. Probably 50, 60 people, maybe more. And he's a, he's a little man because he's little of stature. What does that mean, little of stature? He wasn't tall like Samuel and Joseph. He was short. He was actually, the song is more accurate than the Bible. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He was a wee little man. He was a dwarf, many who No, no, not that we. He was probably 5'5", five, five, you know, some 5'5 five, five Okinawan or something like that, maybe a, a sixth grader size. And these guys in the, in the group of people ahead of him, they were over 5'5", five, five, and then there's some guys six. And there's no crowd. He couldn't see Jesus, so he's jumping up and down trying to see over the crowd. He can't do that. So he climbs up this banana tree. No, no, not banana tree. He climbs up a, a mango tree. That's better. Uh, actually, it was the, not a mango tree. Verse 4, and he ran before and climbed up a sycamore tree. That's like a mango tree. I identify as a mango tree. Into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. 
Now, you talk about a great story, a great story here. You, Jesus, Jesus probably knew what was going to go on. I'm not probably, he knew what was going on. The kids had no clue what's going on that day. He climbs up a tree to see Jesus come by, and Jesus said unto him, Zacchaeus, well, this is amazing. He calls him by his name. The kids probably think I'm in the tree. How in the world does he know who I am? Everybody knows who I am. They hate my guts. Jesus, how does he know who I am? I never saw him before. I never met him before. How does he know my name? Zacchaeus, by the way, does he also know your name? Zacchaeus, by the way, does he also know the names of people who are corrupt and also people who are good? Uh, yes, absolutely. You know what goes on in, in our world, in politics, in government, in business, any kind of part of, of life. Anything. doesn't matter what kind of thing. We pick on the government a lot because it's a good target because there's such corruption there. Not only in our country, but you go to Africa. It's a lot of, lot of dictators in Africa, the continent of Africa. It's horrible down there. Zacchaeus, uh, I think I see something here. God knows the name of every dictator down in Africa. He knows the name of every communist. He knows the name of everyone who hates God. He knows the name of everyone who's on YouTube that posts some anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible rant. He knows everybody's name. And said unto Zacchaeus, make haste. What's the other say, make haste? Hurry up. No Hawaiian time. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide in thy house. And the crowd below murmur said, what? Abide in his house? Why, don't you know? Doesn't he know? Lord, don't you? Jesus, don't you know who this guy up in the tree is? That guy's a rat. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with the man that's a sinner. Uh, so these crowd always finds fault with Jesus, what he does. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Lord, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. Now the question is this. Did Jesus say he was the son of Abraham? Did Jesus say salvation come to this house because he returned things fourfold or because he believed in Christ? Now you need to think about this one here. It appears from verse 8, that's why Jesus says salvation come into this house. Is it possible that he got, we would say he got saved and then he showed his real faith sincerity by saying, I'm going I'm I'm to pay back. Wait, wait, I'm not going to just pay back. I'm going to give back four times what I stole from these people. Is it that he, he meant restitution? That is his salvation? Was it because he believed on Christ and then he made restitution? It appears that he is doing this and then Jesus said, okay, because you're doing this, you're saved. But that's not what the Bible teaches, does it? That's kind of flip-flop. Now look, repentance, promising God you're going to stop sinning, or promising God you're going to do right does not make you saved. But if you really repent, you will do good works. You will do good works because you really repent. If you are sincere and you repent, you will do good works. Uh, everybody is really happy for someone when they really show their sorrow and uh, they have godly grief, sorrow to repentance and that uh, you see a changed life. Whenever a, a prisoner says he's saved and he really is saved, He's growing in the Word. You know what he's going to do? His life's going to be different. What does that mean? His actions is going to be different. His life's going to be different from what it used to be before he got saved. Now, it's not that he 
changed his life and then he got saved. No, because he got saved, his life changed. I think Zacchaeus believed on Christ when he talked to him. Who knows what they talked about? Whatever they talked about, something good happened to Zacchaeus. We can read between the lines and assume from other scriptures that he had a John 3 conversation that Nicodemus had with uh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, if you're thinking along uh, that line, you can see that you don't have to stop doing drugs before you get saved. You don't have to stop your infidelity before you get saved. If you ever witness to people, we should all try, but if you have a chance to, you talk to some guy who's a druggie, you're gonna tell him, you know what your problem is, mister? You're on drugs. You better repent of your sins before you get saved or repent of your sins and get saved or turn from your sins and then God's gonna save you. We never tell people that. We never tell people uh, who are living in a very wrong way, in a sinful way, you know what, you better stop doing that. You guys living together, you know what, you need to break up and live in your own home separately before, you know, get right with God and then, you know, we don't do that. We say get saved and God's going to clean you up. That's what we say. So, you know, you come to Christ by faith, receive the free gift of God, you get saved, and then the Lord works in your heart. And He changes you. He works on your inside after you get saved. And that's when the life changes. So putting a condition on someone to be saved is really like saying you got to earn it, which is not true. Uh, stopping something, stop stealing, and then stop lying. Then you can get that. Behave yourself before you. No, that's the wrong impression to give to people. It is for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in that verse is this assumption that you have repented of something that you're trusting it to be saved and you're trusting Christ now. So, and you must really, again, I must emphasize, you must really forsake your sin before you can be saved. That is not what God says to do. He never said that to the Philippine jailer. Jesus never said that to Nicodemus. Philippians 2.13 does tell us, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he changes so that you will stop some sins and you don't be preached to and told to or what to do, what to not do. Uh, you remember when you got saved? Now, I don't know about you, but uh, after I got saved, no one told me to go to church. Uh, I guess I wanted to go to church because I, I said, I asked myself, what, what is, is it? I want to go again. Nobody told me that. They should have told me that. Nobody told me that. And so I wanted to go to church. Well, that's odd. I never did go to church before. But what is this thing about wanting to go to church for? Because God's working in my heart already as a young Christian. Alright, so you receive the gift of God. It's no cost to the sinner. How can someone dare to pay for the gift of God? By repenting of sins. So, again, I want to emphasize, we appreciate those who emphasize repentance because repentance is necessary. But to push it to the extreme to say you must stop the drugs, you must stop this, you must stop that. And you must really hate sin you might, well, that we can appreciate, but when you explain the gospel, here's what the sinner needs to understand. He's a sinner. Sin is a transgression against God, who is holy. Sin offends God. He's broken God's laws. And when a person understands that and he accepts that, he's getting ready to get saved because he sees that it's an offense to God. He also sees there's a penalty for sin, and he is already condemned according to John 3 uh, 36 and so he sees his lost condition he sees that he is helpless without Christ 
uh, he sees that he he he's stuck. He's stuck. Uh, you know, Peter was stuck when he left the boat. Remember, in Matthew chapter fourteen, he went walked down the water. He was stuck. Now let's let's go back to for just a second to emphasize the point that a sinner who sees that he is stuck. He's desperate now when he's given the gospel and sees his sin as God sees him. He sees himself as God sees him. He's on the right track to get saved because he's going to trust himself. No, he's going to trust in Christ alone. When Peter walked out in the water and the winds, the waves over, over, overcame him, he got, began to sink. You know what he cried out? Who remembers what he said? Lord, save me. He said, he said this, Lord, save me. Now notice this. He was he was on a boat, right? Yes, he was on a boat. I mean, he's out of the boat. He's out of the boat. And he he was walking on water. And then he said, Lord save me. You know why I said Lord save me? One, because his friends could not save him. They were in the boat. They probably knew how to swim, but they, they couldn't get there in time. So, Lord, save me, because he needed to be saved. Nobody else. And then the Lord was closer to him. He caught upon one who could save him. So he was desperate. That's only to make the point that when a person calls upon the Lord, he is saying a lot. He's saying a lot. He's saying, I need to be saved. So it's not really easy believism. It's not really just, you know, uh, casual. It's serious for him to call upon the Lord. And so he really wants to be saved. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, preceding saying the prayer to be saved, a person has to understand a lot of things before they actually get saved. If you just, if you just say, repeat a thing. Okay, what does that mean? It really means nothing. There has to be something explained to the man why he needs to be saved, the condition that he's in, what happens if you don't get saved. Christ died for you. He paid the price for your sins. God accepted his same in payment sin. Your sins cannot, you cannot do anything to, to overcome your sin. You must turn to Christ. You're helpless. This, you're helpless. You're helpless. And so you have to depend upon Christ alone. And the person understands that. He says, well, what must I do to be saved? And then you would say, like Paul, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You mean, what does that mean? Trust him. Depend upon him only for salvation. Oh, really? Is that it? Yeah, it's a free gift. Oh, so I can be saved by receiving it? Like a, yeah. Well, can I do this? Sure. Well, how do I do that? Well, let me guide you. Now, I know what your heart is thinking, but I, you know, maybe you don't know how to pray, but let me let me pray what you I think you might be praying in your heart to God. He has to have an avenue to, to be saved. And so, uh, even at that, listen to this. Even at that, I think, because God knows his heart, God knows his intent. If he's heard the gospel and it's clear to him, he's lost without Christ, he wants to be saved, wants to be forgiven, the whole thing. I think at some point, even before he prays with you, he may have received Christ to pray. I don't know, but I think that could happen so quickly. But you guide him for your own sake so that you know he did that and he got saved. All right, so does God know the heart? Yes. And if that be true then praying with that person is really guiding him to receive Christ for his sake and for your sake. But he needs to have a time for him to say, oh yeah, I got saved when I talked to this guy. Oh yeah, I got saved when I was in, oh yeah. See, so that human element is always in play. And so um, repentance is, 
is necessary for salvation, but it is not how sometimes it is framed. Really promise God, you really hate sin, really with a, you know, um, what about, what about public confession? Confessing God Christ publicly, is that what makes someone saved? Well, let's look at that and we'll finish up. Romans chapter 10, once again. Romans 10 has the answer. What about public confession? Sometimes churches and invitations, if they give one, they say, well, if you don't confess Christ, then Christ won't confess you to his Father in heaven and put pressure on you like that. In Romans chapter 10, that verse that we're looking at for the basis of that confession with your mouth is Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. 10 verse 9. We'll do the same thing again. If I pause, you read the next word. That if thou shalt with thy the Lord Jesus and shalt in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead thou shalt be saved. now you got two things in verse number nine one is confess with your mouth and you have believe in your heart what is it is it confess with the mouth and believe in your heart is it both what is it that makes you saved well how do we know if anybody's saved because they confess with their mouth well who knows if that person is saved the one who knows the heart one who knows the heart. And who is that? That is the question. Who is that that knows the heart? Who is it that knows the heart? But since we don't know the heart, we have to have someone confess. So that's my thinking about that one. So it's not so much the verbal, I believe, as it is the heart saying, I believe, to God. It sure is good to know that somebody say because they said so, because the life shows it. But sometimes people cannot confess with their mouth. Really? Sometimes they can't speak. Really? So he's never saved because he didn't confess with his mouth. Oh, he gives sign language. Okay, I understand. But uh, accepting Christ in your heart is what God knows. And we like to know that too by the confession of the mouth. So it is not the confession of the mouth mainly. It is the believing in the heart primarily that we know someone is saved. And how someone knows that they're saved because they have done that. So it's not so much the exact wording. It is not that. It is not turning from your sins to be saved. It is receiving Christ because you understand the gospel and you trusted in him, you believed in him, and he came in. So that's something about repentance and the role it has in salvation. Uh, any questions about that? Mom, Brandon, Grandma. I don't have a question, but um, what you said about repenting of what it is, it's keeping you from being saved. And I was just thinking, um, the night that I got saved, it was the fifth Sunday that I had been to church, five Sundays in a row, first Sunday night we, our family had ever gone to church. And then I, I had heard the gospel at church, very plain, very plainly. I knew I was lost. And under so much conviction that Sunday, and that Sunday afternoon, I don't know, it's so funny because I don't, I'm, I'm not thought of as a rebellious person, but I felt rebellion in my heart. And I told my mom and dad, I said, I'm not going to go forward tonight. 
and um, at the end of the message the Lord had changed my heart in while I was sitting in church and I turned around to my folks and I said I'm going so that was like to me that was a, a verbal um, a verbal verbal repentance because I told them earlier I'm not going to go forward and I, I did understand that going forward wasn't what, what saved anybody I knew I had to believe on Christ so it wasn't like you know going forward was going to save me but um, at that time that was that was like what we did when, when people got saved they went forward in church and then they went in the back and, and talked to somebody they shared the gospel with them again or, or whatever but I was just thinking how that was such a no I'm not going to that afternoon and then that night after the service the Lord completely changed my mind. And, you know, sometimes I think it was at that moment that the Lord did save me because I gave up. I gave up then. And it wasn't like, no, I'm not going to fight you anymore. Yeah. I kind of lean that way anyway, thinking about that. Um, next week, it's going to be about did God predestinate you to be saved or not saved? God plan for you to live this in this world without without Christ because you can never get saved or did he plan for you to get saved no matter what against your will does your will have anything to do with anything or are you you know people say well whatever will be will be is that how it goes no we'll find out next week last last one about uh, salvation for the month of September already next week is the first day of fall sometime right yeah. So fast. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. So fast. Okay. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Help us to it helps us to remember important truth. And we pray that we never get far from what it means to be saved and how to be saved and the role of repentance. And uh, Lord, repentance is necessary in the life of a Christian for sure. We have mentioned that tonight because it wasn't uh, the focus, but uh, we pray to help us to realize when it comes to salvation, it's not by trying, but it is also uh, it is only in trusting. Trusting in Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.